You're listening to Tash Talks Podcast. I'm your host, Tash Wendt. I am also on social media as Lifestyle Triathlete, and I am the founder of Stomp the Pedal. Stomp the Pedal is a women-specific tri, cycle, swimwear, and accessory apparel brand based in the UK and ships globally. In this week's episode, I talked to friend and pro triathlete Ruth Astle. We basically had a really lighthearted conversation. It was fun. We had a little bit of talking about serious stuff, but mainly fun. Now, I do recognize that one of the questions that my audience asked was in regards to nutrition, and we did start to talk about that. However, my recording device started to warn us that we were nearing the time that we could chat in that one session. So unfortunately, when I went to record the second session, I didn't go back and ask her about the nutrition. Don't worry though, because I believe she will talk about her nutrition and how she approaches that and who she uses, etc. in her YouTube channel. Thank you so much for listening. I really would love it if you could leave a podcast review or a rating or better yet, share it on your Insta story. Um, My podcast is new. I am trying to get more um, content going out there and more guest interviews. So yeah, Ruth is my first guest and I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks a lot. Bye. So I'm here with Ruth Astle. Uh, who has just gone pro. She's from UK, uh, British. (laughs) And uh, I'm going to hand over to you, Ruth, because even though I know you, and we'll talk about how I know you later, um, even though I know you, my audience might not know who you are. So if you could just maybe introduce yourself and give a little bit of insight to who you are for my audience, that'd be great. (laughs) I mean, you're already starting with all the tough questions. <laughs> uh, so I'm Ruth. I live in London. I have been doing triathlon for about six Yeah, we're good. Uh, and I've just gone down to one day a week with work <clears throat> so I can focus on training and trying to be a pro. So does that give you enough? Yeah, I guess, um, you know, you work, you used to work full time mm-hmm. as an executive assistant so basically running the office mm. or running the boss yep. and at the same time still training at a really high level to, uh, well, to race at the, at the peak performance that you race at. Now, look, other people can listen to other podcasts because there's plenty of other podcasts about you talking about your uh, start into triathlon, mm. then your switch from uh, age grouper to pro. But I'd like my audience to get to know you as a human basically and you know you are human like everybody else and just to set the scene guys we're eating chocolate (laughs) really nice Linda's chocolate and we're also drinking lovely wine and what I want to talk about is um I want you to talk about your latest sponsors I believe you've got some new sponsors on board I also believe you know you did your race in Ironman Western Australia which was your first pro race uh, in in Australia, out at Western Australia at Bustleton. And also you're going to camp for two weeks mm-hmm. out in Calp, Spain, which some of my audience won't even know where that is. <laughs> I don't even know where the fuck that is. So, um, <laughs> you know, feel free just to share. share. First of all, how did you feel after your race? 
yeah, I think that's like, that's a good place to start. So I decided to race in Australia, which was uh, seven weeks after Kona. Um, just I felt quite good after Kona. So I thought, why not? Like, let's go and, let's go and race. Let's use this fitness. Um, let's go and get a bit more sunshine. Like I came back from Kona, where it was lovely. Came back to England, it was a bit cold, it was a bit rainy. I was like, you know what? A bit more sunshine would be like really nice. Um, and it looked like a good course. I thought it would suit me. It's like quite a flat bike. Like bike's obviously my strength. Um, and it just looked really nice. So thought, why not? Let's give it a go, see what happens. Um, re like really enjoyed it as an experience. Like, I did, it did not go to, you know, the kind of ambitious plans I had in my head. Um, but I think it was really good to have that learning experience so soon. Mm. Um, you know, I think the swim, to be honest, who knows what happened to the swim. I should, I should have been able to stick with the, with the main group for whatever reason I didn't. I spent after about 1K the whole swim completely on my own, not even really able to see the group in front of me. And I was just <laughs> like, this is horrendous. I've lost like 15 minutes. I'm so far down. I just... I also like, hadn't really recceded it properly, so like trying to get out the swim, I kind of went the wrong way, a little bit too far towards the pier, and then people were kind of shouting at me to go, so anyway. <laughs> Generally, the swim was a bit of a disaster. Yeah. And there's something about being in the water on your own and trying to convince yourself in your head that an Ironman's a really long day. Mm -hmm. There's still a lot to go. It's not all over. No. <laughs> Even though you can't see anyone, it's not all over. You can still keep going. And, like, and it's just, it's that like mental battle of trying to convince yourself that just keep swimming, keep swimming quite hard. You don't, you like, you don't know how far behind you are. You might not be that far behind. You probably are, but just, you know, see what happens. Yeah. I mean, as it turned out, I think uh, it's maybe what, like three or four minutes down off some of the group in front. Uh, but then I came out of T1 and... <laughs> My God, you regained yourself. <laughs> uh, well, I nearly regained myself, and then I'd put the wrong tire on my TT bike, and my wheel didn't move. Um, so then, a nearly stacked it in front of like the whole crowds so that was obviously at T one, which was really a nice lot. Thing. Yep. <laughs> um, then I couldn't work out what was wrong, so I spent a little while kind of flapping about a bit. Some guy next to me was like, "Oh, I think your tire is like." jammed on your hydration system so I had to like let a bit of air out let quite a lot of air out to get it to fit basically 28 mil tires don't fit on a shiv disc fyi no <laughs> should have known that but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's okay this is good these are good Learning errors experience. to make these are good Learning errors experience. to make yeah um so i had to like let a fair amount of air out then got going and like the wheel was still kind of rubbing a little bit but it was sort of right and then kind of went after about 40, 50K and then I was getting into the bike. So this is good. I was starting to catch some people. Um, and like, it's a really cool course. It's like, oh, there's always that little out and back. So you can like mm. see everyone. You can kind of get a sense of where you are and who you're catching or who you're not. So I really enjoyed most of the bike. And then with 30K to go, I think because of having had to let air out, the seal, I'm on like tubeless tyres and the right. seal went. Um, so I had a flat. Managed to like get some more air in it, get it going again. Um, and then with 15k to go, it went flat again. Ugh. By this point, I had obviously no gas left. Oh no. Uh, so I was like, oh, I'm just gonna have to roll it in on the rim. 
um that was like that whole last like 15km was like the really fast flat bit that I obviously couldn't really go that fast on because no. I was on my rim uh, and then you get all the little corners coming into transition which I nearly stacked it on pretty much all of them because I don't know if anyone's tried to corner on a completely flat back tyre <laughs> it's not a lot of fun um so like lost a bucket load of time that last bit of the bike but again still came in I was like right <laughs> Swim and bike couldn't have really gone much worse, to be <laughs> quite honest. Yeah. Let's try and get a marathon PV. Like, I, I knew my running would be going quite well. Um, I'm like, right, let's just give it a go. First two laps, it's like a four-lap course. First two laps, brilliant. Like, felt really, really good. Running really good pace. Was on for, like, really good PB. Um, and I think partly having had to ride like with the flat for so long like that takes quite a lot out of your legs yeah and also, I'd also had this like little knee niggle from Kona that had kind of gone and I was like it's not really anything it'll be fine and then that like massively flared out so I had to like stop had to walk had to like I actually thought I was just gonna have to drop out on the third lap I was like I, I, was, like, I can't finish oh wow um and it's like walked for a bit and then I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not DNFing my first pro race. Like, no way. So I'd made, at that point, I was like, even if I have to walk it, I'm going to finish. And I was like, let's just try jogging, see what happens. I managed to jog a bit. Then managed to just like, yeah, get going a bit again and managed to, managed to finish. Like, what definitely helped is like, pretty much any time I was coming back into the little bit where all the crowds were. Um, yeah, right so in the many... centre so many people that like recognized my suit were like oh you're just on the pedal like they knew who i was because i did a wits up breakfast so i had all these people shouting for me so this one's like right well all these people also you know i feel like they've maybe got some inspiration for me at some point so like if i drop out like no like i just i can't i can't do that so no. i was like just have to get through it yeah and thank god like i felt coming down that finish line i was like you know what it's not the pro debut that i wanted like it's not like so many like so many things went wrong but had a you know I managed to finish like I had all these things that you know through my own fault or just through a bit of bad luck you know hadn't gone how I wanted but I managed to keep going and get to the end of the race and so I was like actually I'm, I'm actually really proud of that to finish and to get there and, and then I was like well if this is the start of my pro career, <laughs> it can only go up. It, hopefully, <laughs> touch word, <laughs> it can only go up. So, um, all in all, like, it was a really good experience. Like, I really enjoyed it. It's like it was quite a humbling experience, actually, mm. because if you think about it, you had just come from winning your yeah. not only your age group, but you won overall female mm. at Kona, and then you stepped into the pro field went out seven weeks later and gave it your all and there were things that were out of your control that held you back but at the same time your mental uh grit and your determination and also people mm. out in australia they love to back a battle up mate <laughs> so yeah that that all that um support and encouragement would have also just helped you get along and also you know it's sunny it is a gorgeous place yeah. You know, forget the race. How did you handle the flies? Because I'm Aussie. I've done that race twice before. And the flies are a bitch. So how did you... <laughs> did you notice it at all? That was the other reason for I need to be able to run again. <laughs> because when you're walking, the flies are all over you. Um, I say, like, mm. actually, 
I didn't really notice them that much in the race. I think mainly because I had so many other things I was thinking about. Um, but all the like training I was doing out there before the race, they were really annoying. Yeah. And especially when like some of the locals are like, yeah, this is just like the four week window that they're here. It's like, <laughs> why don't you have the race at a different point in the year when the flies aren't here? Yeah, I agree, mate. I agree. Uh, but yeah, like other than that, it was great. But I think like, I probably went in with too high expectations. Like, I think, you know, I think as you said, like, I came off this wave of a massive high post Kona. Like Kona couldn't have really gone much better. Um, and I think especially like post the collarbone as well, I think I just went in with this kind of, yeah, it could all go really well. Mm. And, and I think to a certain extent you need to have that confidence and self-belief that, yeah, maybe I could win. And okay, I'm like, I'm not saying I went to Australia thinking oh, maybe I could win because I didn't really think that, but I was like, you know, maybe I could have a really good race and maybe I could podium. And actually, you know, maybe I could have an amazing race and maybe a Kona slot is a possibility from this race. But yeah. I think in hindsight, like that was probably too high an expectation for my first pro race. Mm. But like I, I kind of thrive off having really ridiculous goals. Like I think for me, that's like the challenge. That's the what I'm trying to work towards. That what That's what helps motivate me and push me. Mm. Um. But I probably, probably for that, I set myself up a little bit too much. It's interesting that you say that because I actually agree with the fact that when you're at this level mm. in the sport or in anything, be it a career, be it a sport, be it a parent, whatever it is that someone wants to excel in, you need to have a, le- a level of certainty mm. or expectation within yourself that allows you to keep chasing so it's all good and well that other people want to have these high expectations of you but at the end of the day it needs to be you you do need to put yourself in a situation where you do think yourself as someone who is a winner Mm. because there's this is what differentiates an amazing athlete from an average athlete i think and you can be physically amazing but if you don't have the mental grit or the mental strength, then the physicality doesn't necessarily, it's not all of it. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe you did have high expectations for your first pro race. But at the same time, I think, it, you know, if you don't have high expectations, then you're not probably trying mm. your best or you could probably have gone harder. Yeah. Um, I also think at the same time, I'm kind of glad, like I'm your friend, but also mm. from an observationist, I also think it's good that you had this experience in mm. WA because it was on the other side of the world. It did allow you to really, you know, feel what it was like to race in a swim on your own. It gave you an outlet to know that that's an area that you can really work on <laughs> yeah. um, in the off season when you come back home to the UK. So, you know, all these things might have been seen as a negative, mm. not necessarily a negative, but maybe others would have seen it as a negative. These are areas that you can go, actually, this is gold because I know what I'm capable of. You know what you're capable of. I saw you in Kona. You swam really exceptionally well mm. after a collarbone. 
then you went out to WA seven weeks later and you know the sea is different out there (laughs) we'll give you that but at the same time you just don't know what's going to happen so you know it was just maybe an off day but the the potential is is there so it's really exciting and also your bike potential didn't get shown Mm. either because again mechanicals and (laughs) my stupidity but these are things that it's good that I think in a debut yeah. race you've got you've got time to mm. sort of you know now for next time yeah. to what to do and what not to do <laughs> not <put them> and <laughs> yeah. not what not to Simple. do. But yeah. this is this is I think these are great lessons. And so as much as you may not have, I know you enjoyed your race, mm. but and it didn't meet your expectations, your initial expectations. I think it gave you a lot of gold yeah. to take into twenty twenty. So, talking about 2020, mm. uh, a little bit more triathlon for those of my crew out there listening to the podcast who are into try. Uh, you're about to go out to Calp in mm. Spain. Now, have I said that correctly? I think it depends if you're Spanish or not. <laughs> okay. I think you say Calp or Calpe. Oh, well, let's go with Calpe because it sounds Calpe. more posh. <laughs> but so you're going out there with a couple of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you're going out there for two weeks. So what's your plan when you go out there? Are you focusing on anything particular? Has your coach, Will Clark, given you anything specific (laughs) that he wants you to work on? So we're definitely in a sort of swim-run focus. Okay. Uh, I think the bike, so I'm actually, I've not got my TT bike at the moment because it is uh, Ah, re-sprayed. Very exciting. By Fat Creations, who is working his magic to make it very gorgeous. Um, So, yeah, so I have no no TT bucket moments, I'm just on the road bike, which, to be honest, I think at this time of year, not really a big deal. Like, you just need to get some bike miles in. Doesn't, you know, I'm... I was actually... I was potentially going to race Dubai 70.3, but only because, you know what? (laughs) I only wanted to go and race it because... Uh, a will had told me it was a really good party afterwards it is it's exceptional but then i haven't raced it since yeah. iron man took it over but yeah. it is exceptional and i had a few friends going out so I was like, it'd be really fun but then i kind of i chatted to will a bit more and he's like you know what it's really early like i've literally just come back off my off season yeah so, um it would be a bit, and it always gets a really strong field so yeah probably a really good one to go and get my confidence battered <laughs> probably not what i need right now yeah. so uh we're gonna skip that so um calpe is basically let's go you know we'll build a bit of bike miles but it's not really about that it's actually much more gonna be about swim run got quite a lot of double run sessions great um, double run days are great just again had a bit of time in the sunshine not wrapped up in like a million layers yeah which will be nice um so yeah, so like really looking forward to it. It'd be nice to, you know, I was out there last year. It's a really nice place to train. Like the roads are lovely. There's a really, there's like a swimming pool that they've actually, they've just built a track as well. So like oh, all the facilities are like amazing. It's really cheap. Whereabouts is Calp in, in regards to like Spain? Because a just lot of us... Benidorm. Oh, okay. Because a lot of us in the UK, for those mm. of us listening internationally, mm. this is really cold time for us in the UK. Mm-hmm. So a lot of age groupers and pros will tend to leave the UK and go to places like Lanzarote, mm-hmm. Gran Canaria, um, maybe not Mallorca, but sometimes mm-hmm. Mallorca. It's a little bit cold out there. Lanzarote because it's sunny, but also you get hit with the winds. And personally, for me, this is the first time I've ever heard of Calpe. So 
if anyone's looking to go out anywhere, this could be a possible location. I'd say if you want a cheaper training camp, it's probably uh, a lot, it's definitely a lot cheaper than Lanzarote and Gran Canaria. Like okay. I'm paying about £350 for flights, accommodation and <gasps> car hire for two weeks. Oh my god, I think Stomp the Pedal needs to look at a training camp in Calpay. <laughs> Watch this space. <laughs> all the, like, the roads and everything, lovely. Like, definitely, if you like cycling. So I think, like, historically, it's been more of, like, a cyclist's place okay. to go. Yeah. But there's now, obviously, you know, some pools that have opened up and it's, yeah, it's got other facilities now. That's great. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're off to camp for two weeks. Mm. Now... Uh, aside from all the camp and all that nonsense, right? Let's get to some other cool shit. So we've got, uh, I've noticed, and I have watched, because I'm your friend, <laughs> but I have noticed and watched that you have your own YouTube channel. <sighs> so now you've invested, or you're, you have a friend named Jack mm. who runs, is it 226 Photography? Yep. Uh, so he is another small business in the UK looking to make his mark in the world of sport and mm -hmm. triathlon being one of them. He's going out with you on this camp to train himself, yep. but also I'm sure he'll while he's out there, he'll capture some amazing imagery mm -hmm. <laughs> and videos. So why, uh, you know, a lot of pros out there have been around for a while. Why have you decided to go down the YouTube channel route? Like why video? So I actually think for a lot of it, it seemed like a really good way of talking about my journey into pro triathlon. I think, you know, there's a lot of, well, I certainly found as an age grouper, I spent a lot of time thinking about what would it be like to be a pro, what the mm. differences, you know, like, is it possible? So I kind of like, for me, I was like, actually, let you know, let's give people that insight. Like what, like what are the differences? Great idea. You know, what is it that I've done to step up from age group to pro? Like, yeah, like what are some of the challenges with sponsorship? You know, there's, there's, there's actually, there's so many things that even though you hear some of the pros talk about, I don't think you really fully appreciate until you're kind of in that situation. Mm. Um, but yeah, and I think also like, I love watching a lot of the pros YouTube channels. <laughs> okay. So I was like, well, you know, I would love to be in a position where some people like to watch mine and they get some inspiration from it. So yeah, I was like, let's give it a go. If people don't like it and they don't watch it, I'll stop. <laughs> but Very I'll, true. <laughs> I'll try it. I'll see. Um, yeah. And like, I'm fortunate enough that Jack was really keen to kind of help me and kind of go down the journey with me. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, like, we'll, we'll, we'll see where it ends up, but see what happens. I think that's great. Now, I also like the fact that it's a, another small business like Jack, who's mm -hmm. also a triathlete, understands the process and using his skills. Also, I what I love is that um, I watched your uh, debut video on your YouTube channel. So for the listeners, I will have show notes and I will give you links to all of um, – Ruth's uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and also her YouTube channel. And it's actually quite, it's not uh, structured or... Um, <laughs> Don't say that. No, we no, try but to it's... make it very structured. <laughs> but what I love about it, I love that it's just so natural because yeah, what I, I think my most favourite part in this whole, <laughs> in the Don't whole video. The yes, it's no. the tea. No, 
Because no. I am not a tea drinker and I don't drink milk. <laughs> so when when you poured the milk first and like for my Australian <laughs> Antipodean <laughs> listeners, in Britain, tea is this big fucking thing, right? <laughs> so and don't get me wrong, I have the most amazing Fortman Mason China teacups and all that jazz. Well, but you never use. Yeah, correct. Oh. <laughs> Outrageous. I probably should, when you come over next time, we should drink out of them. But what I found really cool about your video was you poured your milk in first, which I've never known anyone to do in England, and then you it's poured really your... quite normal. <laughs> I promise. And then you poured your tea in, and then he must have asked you a question, mm. and then you went, beg your pardon? And then you explained that it's all about how the milk... Is so it mixes. No, mixes itself. He basically said he was like, "What have you done? I'm pouring your milk in first." <laughs> I actually said to him, "I was like, you need to put a little note in there saying what you've asked because I can't hear you." <laughs> um. Okay. So actually, explain the tea process, the Ruth Astor right. tea process. <laughs> There's not usually a proper process, to be honest. Okay. But. <laughs> uh. Often, if you pour the milk in first, and right. then, so usually at home, I make it in a big mug, and I've got like one of those proper like pint-sized mugs. My God, you get a lot of tea, right? I like tea, <laughs> and you put your tea bag in, and if you pour the milk in first, and then you pour your hot water in, you can then like swirl your tea bag around, okay, and see when it's like the perfect strength. Whereas if you wait, right. And you pour the milk in after, you might be too late. Like, I really hate really strong tea. So this is a very interesting concept because for me, I'm not a tea drinker <laughs> and I don't drink milk. However, there will be people out there that will be nodding no, right be a now. a lot of people shaking their head like, no, you're no. an absolute animal. <laughs> How dare you put your milk in first? I think, theoretically, if you're a proper British person, right? I think you're only meant to put milk in first if you're brewing it in a teapot. Interesting. Okay. But, you know, some of us are not posh enough or have enough time to have a teapot. No, because you need to be efficient, Ruth. I mean, you're a pro triathlete now. It's all about efficiency. That would take me like an extra minute. (laughs) We need to create efficiency here, not extra time. Uh, But anyway, so, and I actually, I I said to Jack after, I was like, if you put that in the video, that's probably going to be the biggest talking point of the video. Do you know what? That's the best talking point no but i actually what i loved most about it is not only did we get an insight about you know the beginning of your launch of your Mm -hmm. youtube channel but also you know you transitioning from age grouper to pro and let me let me tell you you know from the opposite side of the fence there are people that are very interested to know how does someone go from being a full-time worker working 60 hours a week training at the optimum level that you were training at Winning overall female, you know, age grouper in Kona, the only place to go after that is to go to pro because that's the next level up. And then all of a sudden you go from being the top of your game to like the bottom. The bottom. (laughs) But after WA, even though you had not the best debut, overall you still fucking raced amazingly well and you still did a top 10. Like, were you not seventh or was eighth. it eighth? You're still, you were, 
still eighth in your in a pro field in a debut. I mean, that's insane. I got prize money, and you got prize money. Hello. I mean, I'm not seeing it yet. <laughs> oh yeah, no. If anyone doesn't, yeah. If anyone doesn't realize, <laughs> let me tell you now. Whether you're with Challenge or Iron Man or any of those brands, it usually does take a while to get your bloody payment. When in this day and age, and the fact that we both have worked in finance, mm -hmm. it really shouldn't take that long at all. It's very, very quick, actually. So, yeah, you'll get paid one day, Ruth. One day, <laughs> one day you'll get paid. When I make my millions. When you make yeah. your millions. Okay, so, okay, so we've talked about your YouTube channel, yeah. which I'll add into my show notes. Um, I love that you're real, raw, and authentic. So keep doing that. Don't change. Don't try and be you know, professional, <laughs> share. I, I don't know what you're on about. I'm really professional. <laughs> but share all the, you know, ups and downs, mm -hmm. you know, show us what it's like to be a pro because it's not always going to be perfect and no. being perfect is not realistic anyway. So I still love the tea. Uh, now, moving on from that, you, you know, I, for those that you don't know, I do run Stomp the Pedal and Ruth was kind enough to wear my suit in Western Australia, which was lovely and she loved it. However, when you get to being a professional pro, you do need to start thinking as a businesswoman. Mm -hmm. And uh, Stomp the Pedal is a great brand, but at the same time, we can't pay pros or age groupers or ambassadors or any of that kind of jazz to be wearing the gear. So when it comes to being a professional triathlete, you do actually need to think as a business person. So I believe you have secured some sponsors <laughs> for your season, which is great yeah. news. So why don't you share with my audience who are your sponsors and what um, will they be sponsoring you for? Yeah, so I think something that I'm, I, I cover a little bit in my next YouTube video, actually, that's coming out on Sunday. Oh, awesome. Um, but... I think, yeah, this is one of the things that I actually always used to find really interesting about the pros when I was an age grouper in terms of, you know, how are they going about it? How does it work? Um, like I've been lucky enough that I've made some really good contacts with yeah. like some of the people that I've worked with either through the Zwift Academy or through Free Speed. Um, so I'd say like my first, um, first sponsor that I've got on board is Precision Hydration who I've worked with throughout the last, like, five years. Mm -hmm. They've been great. They're I great lads, yeah. Like, their product, like, I honestly think their product, the personalised <laughs> hydration tabs, has really given me, like, my best races in Kona. Like, I agree with you. They 100%. are off the charts brilliant. Brilliant. Um, and they're also, like, they're just, they're lovely guys to work with, getting the sweat tests, all that kind of stuff. Like, they know what they're talking about. Yeah. They've got all the science behind it, mm. and they're just great. So very, very happy to say Precision Hydration are uh, on board still. They, they still want to support <laughs> me. I've clearly not pissed them off yet. So <laughs> happy days. Congratulations. Um, and then from a nutrition side, I'm working with KOM Fuels. Right, who, yeah. Uh, again, like so it's kind of a similar concept to Precision Hydration in that it's trying to give like a much more personalised feel to your nutrition yeah um so the kind of i guess the vague idea behind it the vague the idea behind it is that you can pick exactly what it is you want nutrition wise which can be a whole range of brands okay so they've got pretty much all of the major brands as long as as well as like some other smaller brands that you might not have necessarily heard of 
that you can get and you can basically tailor your nutrition package uh you can do it weekly you can do it monthly you can do it whenever you want and they will send you a package that will come through your letterbox they do it mm. like the letterbox size parcels oh. um which is then why you pick how often you want it as to right. like how much you're consuming right but you could say for example you know i want this brand of hydration this brand of nutrition etc and mix it all up into one package that then gets sent to you so they're like a broker for mm. brands exactly. that specialize in nutrition for athletes yes but That's they do it in a great. way that means that you could buy you know like a couple of gels from one brand a right. couple of nutrition little sachets from a different you know but without paying the premium of if you went into a shop and bought it individually. Right, okay. So they really They buy it in bulk. And so so it's kind of the... So you can get that personalised package without paying, like, ridiculous amounts for buying, like, one thing at a time. Great. I might even look into this myself. You should. Yeah. KOM yeah. Fuels. Yeah. Really KOM Fuels. I'll give you the... Okay. Stuff. I'll take the link later and I'll shove it in the show yeah. notes. <laughs> so they're, like, the kind of the main guys. And then Orca are going to sort me out with my... Wetsuit and kit. Now, is this Orca UK, Orca Worldwide, um, Orca? Orca UK. Okay, great. So, again, the guys that I worked with, there was on Free Speed. Mm-hmm. So, really, like, really lovely guys. Again, they kind of, they were happy to support me, which when I'm not a swimmer, is <laughs> nice. But that's good because if you become a much better if swimmer I, yes, in their gear, hello. Obviously down to the gear. But again, you know, they, they you know, clearly they do a really good range of stuff mm. um, and really lovely to have them on board. Um, is there anyone else? Uh, Icor are giving me their recovery products. So again, like the mm-hmm. CBD oil and the recovery shots. Now um, I uh, use the mm. iCore. I've been using iCore for over a year. So you're basically a muscle drag though. <laughs> no, what I'm I love about you know what I love about their product because I have all of their products, mm. but the CBD oil was probably the most crucial uh, product that I I experienced. Great. Um, I don't even know the word I'm trying to say, but it really helped me when I was going through mm. my separation. The ang- it, it, it helped calm the nerves. Yeah. And it, you know what? It allowed me to sleep mm. when I was really struggling to sleep. Yeah. So now I take, you know, I've got a massive bottle and a little bottle and I've just, I've got everything. And then I've got um, the iCore. I mean, in, when I started out with them, it was just the oils. Mm. And then within 12 months, between 2018 and 2019, between Kona 18 and Kona 19, they came out with their, um, like, the gel, not the gels, the um, ointment that yeah. you can put, yeah. which is in, like, a lip gloss type thing, but in those kind of applicator. And then they came out with the shots. Mm. And the recovery shots, for me, has been off the charts amazing for... Um, the time when we're in this mm. awful cold period. <laughs> so I train and then I will sh- take a shot because it's got that turmeric in it, mm. which helps with everything. just, yeah, just and stopping. Yeah, it's got everything. So it's a mm. great recovery shot. Yeah. So you've got Orca, you've got Precision Hydration, you have iCore Labs, you have KOM Fuels, um, and are you, I believe you're still in talks with various other companies Till you bed everything down. And I'm sure when you bed these things down, you'll release it on your YouTube channel, which I would encourage everyone to watch because 
Uh, I think if you're going to watch any pros, we already know a lot of established female pros, which is great. But I think it's also exciting to see new upcoming female pros, and especially those that are coming out of the UK. Obviously. Obviously. I mean, for God's sake. So you're going on camp, you've got sponsors, you've launched your own YouTube channel, you've, you know, you've... I'm so big time. (laughs) You are so big time. But, you know, you've achieved the um, echelon, like the upper echelon Mm. that you can as an age grouper at Kona. Mm. You know, this is off the back of a, you know, terrible accident that was Mm. not your fault um, and you broke a collarbone. You've been with the same coach, Will Clark, for over six years. He's so lucky. (laughs) He's not only lucky, but he's also quite a character. But, I mean, you know, you've got, you've got, I actually think you've got really, a really good foundation. Mm. So... I'm also just very excited to watch and learn and see what you have for 2020. Now, we have talked about your sponsors. We've mm. talked about your your nutrition and all that kind Boring of... Boring stuff. All the, all, all the shit. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get to some other cool stuff. Have you thought about what races you want to do for mm. 2020? Are there any on the horizon mm. or do we need to wait for the YouTube <laughs> channel uh, videos? Oh, um no, I'm not good. I'm not arsy enough to uh release it on YouTube because I'm not big time enough for that yet. Um my first prop race is gonna be South Africa. <gasps> Are you doing Iron Man South Africa? Mm-hmm. <gasps> is that like the nineteenth of April or is that what it's what the twenty ninth of March? Oh wow, that's come up quite mm. that's actually they earlier. Moved it earlier. Yep. Oh yep. Oh that's a great race. Yep. Who's going? Who do you I've know? Got no idea. Do you know what? I think who gives a fuck who's doing care. it? You just need to go out and do your own yeah. race. Exactly. It seemed to be honest, the main reason for doing it was um A it looks like an epic course. Like actually I've I've wanted to do it for a while. Will's always kind of said it's too early. Um even this year he was a bit like it's a bit early, but I kind of railroaded <laughs> him into letting me do it. Um, but also I was like, you know what? My main ambition for this year is I'd really like to qualify for Kona. Okay. I'm not expecting to do it in South Africa. South Africa is more of a, a kind of test race, but I was like, South Africa is a regional champs. It always gets a really strong field. Yeah. Actually, if I want to go out to Kona, having a race where I'm in a really strong field and like, to be fair, Western Australia that was a strong field, like a much stronger than expected field. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'd like to go and do a race in a strong field where I've not made stupid mistakes like the tyre um, and just experience it. Because it's like, actually, if I want to, you know, if I can manage to qualify for Kona this year, I want to have had a race that at least feels a bit more like Kona yeah. before doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so South Africa as my first race. There will then be some 70.3s, but I've not really decided what yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ironman Cork. Ooh, Ironman Cork. Jeez. Now, that is a race and a half on its own. Mm. If, I, if I'm correct <laughs> in my limited uh, recollection, <laughs> knowledge, bullshit, terminology, <laughs> whatever, but... Wasn't Ironman Cork last year a really wet race? Yeah, but they also cancelled the swim. They cancelled the swim. 
they have this epic hill which mm. some people get off their bike and mm. walk it up. And I'm pretty sure I watched a YouTube video where a guy was vaping Probably. on the yeah. course. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that, that is that. Mm. I actually think f- fucking well done to you, mate. Uh, I mean, to be honest, <laughs> part of my pits, it was like they might cancel the swim. I've been... <laughs> I've then heard that they've moved the swim. They have indeed, actually. <laughs> uh, so it's less likely to be cancelled, which is yeah. a shame. Um, no, but to be honest, that, the main reason for Cork is uh, it's a women-only pro race. So there's Wonderful. two slots. Okay. Um, and I'm <laughs> kind of hoping that after last year, lots of women pros will be put off. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, there'll be a British contingent there. And there's obviously lots of really strong British yeah. pros. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Like Cork is kind of on the plan at the moment, but depending on what startlists look like, you know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not stupid. I'm not going to go and pitch myself against like five of the best pros in the world. So if they all look like they're turning up, I won't go. <laughs> There's no point. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, my thought at the moment is South Africa, Cork, with some seven point threes in between, okay. and yeah, see what happens after that. I think it's quite fun actually if you think about it's your first year as a pro. Mm. Um, and even though you'll have high expectations of you, and I'm sure other people will have high expectations of you as well, but the fact that you get an opportunity to sort of just play with different races, see which ones you like, see... uh, For for people listening, when when it comes to any kind of age group, but even more so for pros, and even more so for female pros... It is a business decision. It's strategic. You know, you need to think about what race is appropriate. Mm. What space of time can I recover and then go again? How confident am I in actually getting to where I want to be in the time frame mm. to then go competing? Kind of? There's so many questions that, you know, come to mind that it, mm. it's, it is a business plan. If you run a business, yeah. if you were to run a business and run yourself as a business, as a pro, you have to consider all of these things. Mm. And, and, and it's also considering which race... So, and so I've, I've also now been putting a lot of thoughts in, this is part of yeah. which 7.3s might I consider or not. It then becomes a much bigger decision, like how much is the flight out there? How much is accommodation? Yeah. Um, how much is it actually going to cost to be out there for the race? And what's the prize money? Mm. And how far does it pay down? Because actually a lot of the... So like 670.3, for example. Yeah. Um, like a lot of the Ironman 7.3s, like you might get top six getting paid if you're lucky. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of those, you know, like the top... Like the sixth person gets maybe like 500 euros, maybe a 1,000, depending on the race. And that might cover but like your be, accommodation. But like that'll be taxed as well. So oh. actually, you know, this is the other thing you've got to consider. Like you yeah. look at the prize money and like, oh, that's all right. And then you're like, oh, no, there's tax. And mm. it depends on where it is, what the tax is like, yeah. as to how much you then get. And then obviously you're not going to get that money for a long time anyway. So. Yeah, because they take so <laughs> you long might as well to forget pay. About it. But even, so like, so even if you're trying to consider it from a, this is what I think I, you know, and you've got to, and so you've also then got to consider, right, worst case scenario, if I'm going to have a really shit race, this is what I might get. Yeah. Which is also really hard to do because then you try and look at start lists and start lists, you know, you get a lot of people that enter that might not go and race or yeah. whatever. Like, 
So it actually becomes really, really hard to think about, is it worth me going to a race to go and race? Now, it's Which... actually really interesting. Sorry to cut you off. Mm. But it's interesting that you raise that point, right? Mm. Because a lot of age group women will, and I'm going to speak from my experience mm. as an age group women, not saying that I think like this, but by reading a lot of stuff that others think and what people raise and all that kind of nonsense, I don't think age groupers understand the level of strategy mm. that goes into choosing a race when you're a pro mm. because when you're a pro a true professional where you've given up your job mm. in terms of livelihood and uh, income that you're accustomed to you are then relying on race podiums getting paid the timeliness of when mm. they pay you because we know if anyone doesn't know, it does take a very long time for these respective companies to actually make the payment to the individuals who have already demonstrated their ability to win a race, podium, or come in the top 10, whatever it is. They take ages. So, you know, there's a lot involved. So strategy mm. comes into play a lot mm. when when choosing a race. And I know a lot of women are like, oh, my God, why is there not – a deep field here but the reason why there's not a deep field is because it's just not logistically financially or um it's just not appropriate it doesn't work in the plan mm. so and some of those races where it's like you get the weak fields it's because they might only pay four deep mm. and that person getting paid fourth might only get like i don't know so like 500 euros or something but yeah. again by the time it's taxed like that doesn't even cover your cost so if you're weighing up, you know, do I go for a much bigger race where it probably pays like eight deep and yeah. that eighth person gets like a thousand euros, which, you know, when they get taxed, that at least maybe covers just about your flights and accommodation-ish, mm. depending on where it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely something <laughs> I found it quite weird thinking about things that way because I'm very used to thinking... I just want to go do that race. Mm. I like that place. That place looks nice. I want to go visit it. I want to go. And, and you know, that's partly why, you know, when I was thinking about Dubai, I was like, I want to go and race Dubai. Yeah, it like, is a cool place. <laughs> I wanted to go and race it. It looks fun. And then it's like, oh, but no, I'm actually a pro now. And do I want to go and pitch myself against people like Helen Jenkins, who yeah. is probably going to go and bloody smash it and pro I don't know like other people that are probably going to turn up there who knows but like it's always quite a strong field so am I good enough to compete against them yet no mm. like I'm just not like I know I'm not um do I want to go and get spat out the back of the pro field definitely not like that would do nothing for my morale or anything like going into my first pro year mm. So you have to be like, well, no, it's not a sensible decision to go and do it. As much as I want to go and race and do an early season race, and actually it's not that expensive to get there and I could probably do it reasonably cheaply. Yeah. Does it make financial sense or logistical sense? Like, no. So it's very different. And even thinking about, so like, even thinking about like South Africa, um, South Africa is going to be very competitive. Like, again, it's a regional championship. You get a really competitive field. Mm. Like is going to be really strong, um, and I have no like no illusion about the fact that the field is going to be really strong. It's going to be really hard. 
am I going there with any hopes to make any money? No, like not at all. I'm More at, like, experience. That's for the experience. Is it still going to be weird going somewhere knowing that it's just... Because I guess this is where there's a different mindset. Because as an age grouper, it's like, I'm just going to race because it's fun. And I can, like, you know, I'm in a good job, I'm earning good money. Now I've cut back to one day a week. It's a bit like, well, <laughs> I can't really say I'm earning good money anymore. Like, I'm earning probably enough to just about live. Yeah. Um. So actually then all those decisions, you know, to go and race South Africa for experience, that's almost a luxury. Like I've almost, you know, I'm kind of paying for that out of savings to go and do that on the expectation that I'm not really going to earn, like I'm, I'm going to lose, basically South Africa, I'm going to lose money. Yeah. Unless it all goes ridiculously well, which, you know, we'll see. But you take it as a, I'm just going to take that punt in the hope that it plays off in the long game. Yeah. It's like, like it is a really different mindset. It is. It's and a really this, different mindset. This is what I know you will talk a lot about mm. on your YouTube channel because, I mean, we can talk about this kind of stuff for hours mm. because I'm fascinated and I'm sure my listeners are too because at the end of the day, it's very easy for age groupers to sit and critique mm. a pro, be it male or female, but I believe that as soon as you actually step into the level mm. of being a pro and you start thinking with a business mindset, so there's your athletic ab mindset that you know you can control mm. and you know that you can excel at and you know you can push the boundaries insanely, right? But then it comes down to all the strategy. And for those who don't know, um, you know, when it comes to being a pro, being male or female, you are running a business and you are being very strategic about what you put your body through and what races to choose, which one, like you said, is a luxury for experience for first timers versus those who are people who, you know, can go into a race and have got already the experience behind them, know what they need to do and they're going in, you know, with a different mindset to really yeah. kill it. So I think I think this is great. I think the more you can share the insight of the process that you'd mm. go through to make a decision in choosing what race and why would be the most valuable mm. kind of insight for an age grouper who one day might step into being a pro one day or just simple age groupers mm. who are out there that are, you know, inspired by people like yourself, Lucy Charles, Laura Siddle, Carolyn Livesey, all the females, Nikki mm. Bartlett, you know, all the amazing women that we have in the UK, Kimberly Morrison, these kind of women, you know, there's a lot of, I'm sure there's a lot of um, talk where they will critique but never understand the process. Mm. And that process that you can share in your in your experience as to why you've chosen a race and what you believe you know you can do, what you'd like to do. So you've got your obviously your Wonder Woman version of how you would like things to go and then you'll have the Ruth Astral version of where you're at. And I think that's, that's what people want to see, the authentic side of that. So please share that with us because that would be quite insightful. Now, enough of all this hardcore talking. <laughs> 
let me just tell you, everybody, we've run out of wine. So unless I stop <laughs> this recording and go open another bottle. Uh, but I, it's also quite late. We are and... also two bosses down. Just <laughs> FYI. And I've got a 7.25 flight tomorrow morning. <laughs> so there'll be no more wine. And this it's nearly be... 11 o'clock. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to wrap this up very quickly. But before we wrap it up, I did want you to... Yes. I went out to my community through the Lifestyle Triathlete and I asked my community some questions or I actually asked them if they had any questions for you. Mm. So some of the questions were, firstly, what is your favourite gin? Mm. And this is a tough one Mm. because I love gin. I like gin and tonic, (laughs) definitely my go-to drink. Um, Yeah. I've got a few favourites. I would have to toss up at the moment. Mm. There'd have to be two. So okay. I'm, okay, I'm let's kind go. of cheating a little bit. Let's go to two so then. I'm really sorry. One of them would be... Um, I'm probably going to get the make wrong now. I want to say Whitley's. Might not be Whitley's. Okay, no, Whitley's I know. Because they have lots of different colours. Rhubarb and ginger. <gasps> That's definitely... Oh, is that Whitley's, is Whitley's? Or is that another one? I don't know. I want to say Whitley's, but I might be wrong. Okay, anyway. but you like the rhubarb, rhubarb and, ginger. and ginger. So, Emily, this is for you. Rhubarb and ginger. Really good. Really good gin. Really good. And what was your second one? Uh, and the second one would be Bulldog. Bulldog? Bulldog gin. Really good. Oh, I actually don't think I've ever what? seen or heard of Bulldog. Right. Okay, we need to go out. I need to get you some of that. Oh, um, I have I'm to say, there were a group of people out in Western Australia who, when I was on a wine tour, <laughs> having lunch, sent me a glass of gin and tonic. <gasps> yes. And I don't, I can't actually remember what they sent me, but whatever it was, it was so good. I feel like it was like orange flavoured. <gasps> Ooh, we like a blood orange. <gasps> and actually, I went and, I went and chatted with them afterwards and obviously said thank you, but in future, if anyone sees me at a race... <laughs> <laughs> And wants to send me a present afterwards. Gin and tonic is a very good gift. Okay, so do you like Fever Tree or Schweppes for your tonic? Fever Tree. 100%. Of course. I mean, hello, darling. Come on, I'm very we posh. Are, <laughs> we are only Fever Tree in this household. <laughs> yes. Now, from a gin perspective, mm. if it's blood orange mm. or if it's orange flavour, it's a very good chance that it's from the Amalfi or Malfi mm. range. They do a... I'm pretty sure they do an orange one, a grapefruit one, and a normal mm. one. But I, I'm with you. I like those flavored yeah. gins. It just gives a bit of an edge, mm. really, doesn't it? Agreed. And Fever Tree, we can only do Fever Tree. I mean, any pubs in the UK that still serve serve Schweppes. I mean, mm. hello, get Fever on board. Fever Tree is also a really great story of how they. Uh, I say this because they're banked by Lloyds. Okay, I don't <laughs> know the Fever Tree story, so sure. I, I'm not going to run it all, but like basically, you know, they built it up from like a really small base. Like they, they really have this amazing vision of how they could expand and how they okay. could make these like really premium tonics and like yeah. how they could get it out there. Um, and it's just like one of those amazing like family success stories. Because all of a sudden, you you would see in pubs mm. in the UK, we went from Schweppes Slimline Indian Tonic to everywhere all of a sudden, mm. Fever Tree. Yeah. And what I love about Fever Tree is you can go to Tesco mm. or Sainsbury's and there's the cucumber one, yeah. there's... My favourite is the lemon-lime bitters, the oh. which they don't make 
they don't make it available in the pubs, okay. but you can buy them in the little tins, cans, not tins, so the one, cans. I was given a gin and tonic over Christmas at my parents by some of their friends. Yeah. There was a tonic water they had that was mixed with sherry. Ooh. Lethal. <laughs> But very nice. So anyone who likes gin and tonic and wants to get drunk, there I oh, I can't remember who made it. You need to get in touch with your family so, and let us know actually, so I can. My brother found it. Oh, okay, you good. Talk for a little bit. But it's fun. interesting how you would mix gin. Was it gin and tonic and sherry or tonic and sherry? Gino, sherry and tonic. Wow. So if you're thinking, so you it's have a spritz. gin, and then the mixer is sherry and tonic. And it's, yeah, sherry and tonic spritz mm. served chilled over ice. <laughs> the brand is Pedrino and the alcohol percentage is 5.5%. As I've... your mixer. <laughs> <laughs> Just FYI. Deadly, deadly. It's great. I love I'm... this. Okay, so we know so... you're, uh, we know that you're a lover of An gin. Alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we're two bottles of wine down. I mean, this is the best mm. podcast ever. <laughs> okay, so the we've got some other serious questions like nutrition. What's mm. your nutrition on and off uh, the course? Yeah. And, you know, what do you consume in a race? Is it the same? Is it scientific? Or do you do like me and have jelly babies? <laughs> I'm very scientific. Oh, right. Uh, no, so I'd say like off. The race course. Uh, so I've been working with Alan Murchison a lot this year. Oh, he's brilliant. Uh, he's great. So I have to say, like, before him, I I was actually very, like, anti-carbs. Classic, like, girl thing. Carbs are bad. Mm. I don't eat carbs, whatever. So I actually didn't really eat that many carbs. Is that about to cut <gasps> Oh, it is a heads it's up. red. Okay, so Ruth, some other questions from my community, from the Lifestyle Triathlete, is um, so what is or where, should I say, is your favourite place to train from all the places that you trained so far? Where would you, where would you rank your favourite and why? Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> that is so hard. Um... I have to say, it doesn't get much better than a really nice spring morning in Richmond Park. When you're there really early, you get at like 5.30, the sun's coming up, no one else is there, and you get like all the mist. Mm. That's amazing. Um, I agree with you, actually. And I have to like, generally speaking, I say I've got a really good group of people to train with now in London I've got like mm. a group of swimmers to swim with I've got a load of guys from the tri club that I can bike and run with and you're from full on tri that's your home yeah. club yeah. from day dot isn't yeah. it full on tri yeah. and they're amazing it's like amazing group of people Yeah, good range of people for, you know if I want speedy people I can run with speedy people if I want to be a bit more chilled out I've got people I can run at a more normal pace with um but yeah, but then in terms of other places I've trained, I love Gran Canaria, you know, like the roads are amazing, there's lots of great hills on the bike. Yeah, it's like most places I've been, like 
generally speaking, if you've got nice road surfaces, mm. I'm gonna love it on the bike. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think to be honest, for me, training is the most fun when you're with people that make it fun. So London would still be my hub. That is a very interesting perspective because mm. I think. A lot of people would have thought that you would have chosen an overseas destination. Mm. However, I agree with you. I lived in Richmond for seven years and I was at the unknown stage of triathlon. And I would, Richmond Park was mm. my base. And when I was training for my first Ironman, Richmond Park is where I ran. It's where I rode my bike before yeah. work. It, and then obviously, you know, I'd go to pools on the park and do my swimming. I didn't know anything different. So yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely see that. Also, Grand Canaria. Mm. Actually, you're right. Any any location with great road mm. surface will always be better than England. <laughs> yes. Will always be better than the yes. UK, right? Yeah. So I totally get that. Yeah. Um, why? You know how you're going to Cal Calpay mm. tomorrow? Uh, at time of recording, you know Ruth is off to camp tomorrow. Yeah. Um. You know, how did Calpay come into even – I've never heard of this place. Mm. So – and I, I don't know of any <laughs> other <laughs> triathlete. Now, you said it was a cycling hub. So how did you get onto this place? Well, I heard of it through Will. Right. Clark, this is your coach. coach. Yeah. Um, he clearly didn't hear about it through cycling. Uh, <laughs> no disrespect. Um, <laughs> I think he'd been out there with some friends before. Right. And just kind of vaguely knew the area. But yeah, like get like Carpe's kind of got everything and it's mm. really cheap. So it's like, you know, you've got yeah. like the hills, you've got like a few flat bits, you've got like the swimming pools, you've got I'd say you've got open water, but it, like honestly, like last year I was there in March and I tried to go in the open water and I lost like ten minutes. So Too I'm, cold or just uh, yeah, too cold. I'm not even taking a wetsuit this time. I was okay. all in the swimming pool. Yeah. Um and they got some nice trail runs, some nice road running and just I have to say, generally being out in Europe, anything on the bike is generally better because the drivers mm. are just so much nicer. They um, are, they are. So, yeah, so it was through Will that I heard about it uh, and it was just so nice and it's so cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More than anything, uh, I'm going back. Okay, so we've talked about nutrition. We've mm-hmm. talked about, you know, where you're going for camp and where you like to race. You know, uh, what are some tips that you might have? So one of my uh, community, Lisa, she asked about three tips you might have in regards to swim and keeping up with uh, the swim in a pro field. Now, I know you've only had one opportunity and it may not have been your best debut, (laughs) but I think you did highlight, you know, when you were talking about it, you did highlight some mental things that you did, you know, you had to dig deep because you were on your own. So, yeah. I mean. Yes, yeah, so I think, first of all, I'd say I can't give you any tips on keeping up because I've failed <laughs> big time. Um, how can you keep up? Be faster. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I've i always been quite, uh, I think I'm like, quite open in that, like, you know, the swim is my weakness yep. by a long way. Um, it's like, and I think as I said before, like it shouldn't be as weak as I think it came across in Australia. Like Mm -hmm. I should have been able to keep up with that front group. Who knows why that didn't happen. But I think like, you know, I think for me, like three tips for swimming, I think like, as with any training, consistency is key. Yeah. Like if you can only fit 
two swims in a week. You're best off sticking to two swims a week that you always get in, that you have like two really good sessions than trying to like one week do four, then the next week do one or whatever. Like know what time you've got and use it. That's great advice. And also like be realistic, right? Like if swimming is your weakness, but again, say you've only got like eight hours a week that you can train because you've got family and work commitments. Also be realistic about what are the other gains that you might be able to make on the bike or the run? Like, you know, everyone talks about the swim because generally speaking, the swim is quite scary. The swim is quite hard. The swim is not the thing that comes naturally to most people. But actually, like, think about the time that you've got. Think about your efficiency. And, you know, the swim is a really short part of the rate. If you're doing Ironman, like, Mm, if you're doing, like, mm. half Ironman or shorter, it's a bit different. If you're doing Ironman, like, to be quite honest, like, unless you can do, like, four or five swims a week compared to, like, two or three, it's not going to make much difference. Mm. So you might as well take that time, spend it on the bike and run where you can make much bigger gains. Yeah. Uh, and do that so <laughs> my, my one big advice would probably be like look at the time you've got and use it efficiently because yeah people think about the swim a lot because it is usually the weakness but actually you know you can maybe take like one or two minutes off that whereas all that yeah. time you spend on that swim to take that off you could spend that time on the bike or the run and take like 10 15 maybe even like half an hour off so that is a great piece of advice mm. only because uh, well, it's a great piece of advice, but at the same time, you are speaking to age groupers, right? Mm-hmm. And they do have families. They do have full-time jobs. Yeah. This is a hobby and a passion. Mm-hmm. And I know and it's, it's from... meant to be fun. And it's meant and to I'm be really fun. Sorry, but pretty much no one is swimming up and down a horrible, hot swimming pool, battling against other people fun. No, I agree. Ever. And it's interesting because you're you're right in the sense that Age groupers absolutely need to look mm. at what time do they have. Yeah. And I know from the Trisado methodology and how I'm coached, I uh, am not a massive swimmer. I had four mm. swims in my uh, training sessions in my week this this particular week. I have no That's time. It is a lot, but it's because it's a, it's a low-impact cardio. Mm. And for me, because I'm such a bad runner, the swimming is supposed to help me run. And it's not supposed to help me run. If I actually did the fucking sessions, I actually would become not only a better swimmer but a better runner. But I just don't because I can't fit running a brand, doing a full-time job, training for Ironman and being a good human. I can't do it all. So some things go and with me the swim goes. But if you do have time to do two solid sessions Mm -hmm. and you make it work, you're right. It is better just to get in the fucking pool do the swim session, come out of it and go, I nailed it. Like I did a great session and then I'll manage the rest of my week the way I need to. So I think that's great advice from a swim tip point of view. Great advice. Do what you can, you know. It's a hobby. It's fun. And pools in the UK are a pain in the Mm, ass. (laughs) Excuse my French. And I think like, and then my other tip, if you've got time and you can fit sessions in, like find faster people to swim with. Mm. you know like again there's lots of people talking about like go and get your technique looked at but honestly like i kind of think unless you've got someone looking at your technique every week yeah. it's not really going to help because they'll tell you stuff to work on you'll be doing your drills being like yeah of course i'm doing that but unless someone's there every week to be like no you're not doing that no you're still doing this wrong sorry <laughs> uh, 
it's not going to make much difference because in your head you think you're correcting it and doing what you should be doing but actually you're probably not yeah so i'd say actually just go and swim with the fastest people because then you'll be forced to swim faster yeah you may not have the best technique but you'll probably get stronger Great advice. So again, swimming with faster people could be swimming with your master squad at your local yeah. swim pool, uh, swim pool, or it could be joining your local triathlon club and swimming in with the faster people in your lane. So yeah, great, great advice. Great advice. Um, some of the other questions that were raised, if I can remember from memory, because you know I'm not very organized. Everybody, like I remember stuff. However, I remember one of the questions being. How are you finding watching Netflix? <laughs> or are you watching Netflix and are you bored of Netflix yet? Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's only so much time in a day you can train and the rest of the time I'm sure is Netflix and chill. <laughs> it's a very good question. Um, so I'm someone that operates very well under pressure. <laughs> I'm not someone that deals very well with not having very much to do. Um, mm. So I have to say, I have already been looking into what kind of things could I look at doing <laughs> that might be a good business or that might just generally be something. So like I have to say, like, I've, I've actually spent like the first few weeks of the year, I've actually I've been looking a lot into like sponsorship stuff. You know, I always had the few sponsorships I got set up, but I've been also looking into what else is there that I might be able to explore. There's a few other brands that I'm keen to look at few other like general avenues that I've been kind of exploring to look at how could I make that work how can I try and pitch myself to them so that's mm. taken up quite a lot of time um yeah. I'm still working one day a week so that's you know a whole day of actually getting my brain engaged which is quite nice um and then yeah I've been spending the rest of it mainly thinking about what else can I do you know <laughs> like I think I like my main concern about going pro was my brain is going to be really bored. I think yeah. like when you're used to working that kind of intense week at that intensity alongside the training, alongside everything else, to then go to it being like completely op- the opposite, like it is quite strange. And yeah, I think <laughs> if I let myself get into the routine of just like training and Netflix, I think I'd be really depressed really soon. Yeah. Um, I'd like, I can't operate under that. And so, yeah, I've been basically just using my time to look into what are the kind of general business avenues I might be able to pursue. I think that's exciting. So for those of you who do not know what Ruth used to do prior to turning a pro, she was executive in, uh, exe- executive assistant to one of the high um, hobnobs at Lloyds Bank. Hobnobs. <laughs> hobnobs is a technical term we use in Australia, <laughs> but he was a high, uh, a high CEO or a COO, or he was of a high level. He, she was of a high level, yeah. and so he and uh, Ruth. Basically, when you're an executive assistant, for those who don't know, you're pretty much running the show, mm-hmm. um, and you're managing. You're actually managing that other human being to do what they need to do. Uh, and you're fielding a lot of stuff mm-hmm. as well. So um, being an executive assistant does require a lot of your brain power. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine when you go from, it, it's interesting, right? Because people will perceive the moment you can give up your full-time job mm-hmm. to do your passion, that that will be fulfilling enough. 
However, when you're a high achieving human being and you have managed to achieve what you have achieved whilst working a very high profile role, to all of a sudden change that, mm. it, it you do start to question, oh my God, my brain needs a workout. It needs to go to the gym as well. Mm. The brain needs to go to the gym. So for you at the moment, it's quite exciting because you're able now to use some of that brain space to see what other avenues can you go down to create an income for yourself as a professional, not only in your field, but in a field that you love. Mm. And because you've got that business skill set that not every pro triathlete will have, but you have that skill set, it will allow you to look at these other mm. avenues. So yeah, it's very it's very exciting mm. times. It's all, like it's also very scary. Like I think um uh, this be like I don't I don't really feel like I've got a purpose at the moment. Mm. Like other like obviously other than the pro triathlon stuff, like obviously I have a purpose there of like I want to qualify for Kona, I want to be as good as I can be, I want to keep improving. Yeah. But I think, you know, as you said, there's only so many hours that, like, training can take up. And when you're so used to having so much to fill your day. Yeah. You know, like, I was used to working from, like, a 7 a.m. to sort of 6 to 7 p.m. job. Like, that's a huge chunk of my day that's now not occupied. Mm. And, like, it is, yeah, I don't know, like, it's, it's probably, you know, this might be completely... I don't know, like paraphrasing and wrong, but like it's probably similar-ish to someone who's been a pro athlete all their life to suddenly adjusting to not doing that. I think that's a great analogy. You're so used to a certain way of doing something. So like for me, I was very used to like, I've got to be up at the crack of dawn, I get my coffee and I do my workout, then I'm straight at the desk, then I've got this like whole intense period of time of this is work, I've got to be on it the whole time. Mm. Like there's no and like in that kind of job like there's no real let up it's like all the time is generally speaking pretty intense there's like stuff coming in like random stuff left right center and then you've probably got like your evening workout and then you're home and you're eating and then you're like i need to sleep there's no space for anything in any of that so like you basically spent each day every day up against it yeah and always being like right i've got this short amount of time to do this and i've got to like get it done and blah, blah, blah. Whereas now, like the first couple of weeks I've had, it's like, I've got so much time. <laughs> and like, I don't really know what to do with it. So like, A, like I've got, first thing I've been, I've been sleeping. Yeah, great. Which, like, <laughs> sleeping has been really nice. Like I completely get, you know, like obviously read the book about why we sleep actually quite a while ago, which was very depressing because it was a point when I, really couldn't fit any more sleep in um well I mean I could have done but I would have sacrificed training which then I wouldn't have got where I got to so yeah um yeah sleeping has been like number one (laughs) which has been nice but you still don't have this like vast like period of time where it's like oh well I don't have a deadline I don't don't have this deadline to hit Mm. um or just slash you know like so on on my working day it's like it's a bit different because it's like actually I've just got one working day and obviously there's like so much that I want to cram into that that probably that one working day is like slightly ridiculous now. But all the other days of the week, it's like, well, I've done my training. 
or I've done one of my training sessions. I've got this other training session, but I can leave that because <laughs> I've got all this time in the world. Mm. And actually trying to like either like structure the day or make it in a way that seems like you have some purpose. Because to be honest, my main fear is that whole, you're just like floating through, not really doing anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to feel like you're adding value somewhere. So yeah, I've, ma- I've mainly actually been concentrating on trying to think about what kind of business can I set up that yeah. does something? Which has been fun. But yeah, like it's a very it's a very alien concept having all this time. Uh, yeah, it's weird. I, you know, thank you for the insight because <laughs> do you know what? It's, uh, I think it's true not only for athletes, mm. it's also true for entrepreneurs. Mm. So you get people that, you know, definitely want to go into the space of running their own business. But once they start, like they've quit their day job to commit to the full-time business and then they realise all of a sudden they've got a whole eight hours that they can dedicate to the business Mm. and it sort of is overwhelming Mm. because when you work for someone else, you have structure. And I think when you go to being an entrepreneur, now I know you're going to be, you're an athlete and you're a professional triathlete, but at the same time, that is another way of seeing yourself as an entrepreneur because mm. you are now making uh, a living from being a pro triathlete and you're also investigating other avenues as to how you can flesh out your income and keep your mind mm. stimulated because your body will do whatever you tell it to do. But your mind needs an active gym yeah. and hence the business ideas. So when you start doing that, then you need to create structure. Yeah. So uh, I would say be kind to yourself. It is a transition. You do need time mm. to adjust. It's a very foreign world. When someone of a high performing in a high performing role and a high performing athlete mm. goes to having a lot of time, which then becomes very reliant on you creating structure, that takes time. Mm. So allow yourself the time. Because you will find, you'll find your happy place. You'll find time where you'll do your structure, you'll do your training, and then you'll go run your business, whatever that business will be, and then you'll go back to Mm. your training. Because that's the way you know how you best efficiently work. So, yeah, give yourself time. Exciting, daunting, Mm. and definitely (laughs) scary. So, now, it's getting very late. Ruth does need to get to bed (laughs) to be able to go on a plane. So I'm going to wrap it up and I think we have one last question from my audience and if I can remember correctly what the question was, uh, Emily did ask, with all the training sessions that Will gives you because you're very good at sticking to your plan and doing what your coach says and also he's also very good Will Clark, as a coach, Mm. is very good at accommodating and understanding his athlete's Mm -hmm. lifestyle, which I think is crucial when you're coaching pros or coaching age groupers, especially age groupers. Mm. You need to be able to understand how they live their life, what they can fit in, and accommodate for changes that need to be made. Now, he's been very good at that. Mm -hmm. So now that you're full-time, and uh, he, he can give you whatever, <laughs> which would be fun for him too. Uh, Emily asked the question of what would you say in your sessions to date that you have 
done Mm -hmm. in the last six years with Will. When you finish that session, when do you feel like you're most like a badass? Like you've gotten through the session, you've looked at it and you've gone, how the fuck am I going to achieve that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because he gives Mm -hmm. you some crazy bike stuff. And then you get off it and you're like, oh, my God, I feel like an absolute, Mm -hmm. in my lunchbox, I feel like an absolute superstar. So it's not so much the bike sessions. Ooh, like, there's, interesting. Uh, there's, def- like, there's definitely been some turbo sessions that I'm a bit like, oh, I don't know if I can do them. But, and they tend to just be like the kind of like, I don't know, like maybe like six by four minutes. Okay, like, yeah. Maybe like 95% of FTP. Something like that when you kind of look at it and you're a bit like, can I? But like, realistically, you know you can because you know you've done your FTP. So like... Mm. Whereas there's been some run sessions he set me, which again, like realistically, if I thought about it logically, I'd be like, yeah, of course I can do it. But some of the like the longer Sunday sessions I had, there would be like a kind of a warm up section, and then there'd be maybe like two lots of five k at a certain pace, which, like for me, would be like, well, they'd be like ambitious Ironman pace. Which would always seem like very ambitious mm-hmm. <laughs> when he said it. Yeah. And I knew that with all those run sessions I'd be doing in Richmond Park, which is undulating. So it's not and flat. It's, yeah, it's definitely not um, flat. It's not easy and it's trail and it's hard. So, so, yeah, a lot. There was like maybe like two or three of those sessions where it'd be, yeah, about like an hour and 45 to two hours of running with these like maybe two 5K sections in it that mm-hmm. were like at pace. Right. And I remember, like, I think, like, yeah, I'd, I'd always, before them, be a bit like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't <laughs> know, that, that just seems really hard. Yeah. And you have this, like, whole self-doubt of, like, oh, I just, that, oh, I don't know if I can do it. Anyway, I managed to, like, basically I managed to persuade people to do it with me. Mm. I'm the kind of athlete that if I'm with someone else... <laughs> I can always do what I need to do. Is that because you're chasing I'm someone? I'm far too competitive. So, <laughs> like your brothers? So, mm-hmm. Yes. A, ask my brothers, but B, okay, other example, we did a CSS, the critical swim speed test yeah. at my club last night. Uh, I, so the 400 meter and the 200 meter, I was swimming with a guy who was a much better swimmer than me. Both of the first 100s, I did at 118 pace. Mm-hmm. Then like, Obviously fell off a little bit. Um, this morning I had a VO2 max 100 meter set in okay. the swim. Okay. Did I get anywhere near 118? Absolutely not. Because I was on my own. I had no one to chase. Ah, no one so, like, so you definitely work I need better people. with people. Yeah. Okay. Again, if I try and go and do like a really hard run session yeah. on my own. You won't hit the numbers. I just won't push my... Like, I just... I really struggle to push myself as hard on my own. Okay. Like, I'll feel like I'm pushing myself as hard. Mm. But I just... There's that extra percent that if I'm chasing someone, I'll go harder. I think that's an amazing level of self-awareness. Yeah. Especially this early on in your pro career. If you know that you perform better mm. chasing other people that are better than you, let Will know. So that you can actually train in that kind of environment, because you're only gonna, you're only going yeah. to get the best of yourself because that's, you know, that's how you best train. Yeah. So I notice on your Insta stories and your, you know, you're very prolific on social media, which is great because it gives us all an mm. insight. But 
I know when you're doing your turbo sessions and, you know, Triathlon Ross or Jack mm. has come on or yeah. Dee, anyone that's in the same environment as you, Sophie, you know, any of these people mm. that you train with, um, the moment you're with someone else, yeah, you're pushing hardcore. But yeah. when you're on your own, I know you push, but like you just said, you probably don't push okay. to the level that yeah. you know you can. Mm-hmm. So if you, that, I think that's a great level of self-awareness. I think that's good. And, yeah, definitely I think it's great that you're going on camp with a couple of people that are faster than you in certain er, in certain disciplines. Yeah, we can all help each You can other. all help each other. Yeah. 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 So there was another question about the TT bike. Yes. Getting comfortable. Yeah, getting so I think comfortable. it's very important, especially yeah. from a female perspective. Yes. Because I've had many conversations with people about saddles. <laughs> um, yes, as have I. Yeah. <laughs> Like, to, okay, so my one piece, so getting comfortable with a TT bike, for me, it's a very alien concept because I'm way more comfortable on my TT bike than on my road bike. Me too. I've had this conversation with quite a few people recently <laughs> and they're like, you're what? Um, for me, my TT bike is my natural environment. It just mm. seems to fit me. I feel really good on it. It's really comfortable. It has taken some time. I think I, I'm lucky in that I'm... Like, I seem to just suit a TT bike, but I'd say from a saddle perspective, um, like, I honestly, from a saddle, I think it's just trial and error. Like, everyone's so different. Yeah. You know, like, what works for me is not going to work for someone else. You, like, yeah. you've just got to try them. If you don't have a bike shop that lets you try them, join a tri club, test out other people's saddles. They will have other saddles you can test. Um but you need to try it and you need to try it over like a reasonable distance mm. because you're not going to know from like a 5k little ride. And then I think like obviously a bike fit. I think if you're on a TT bike, like really you should be getting a bike fit. Whether, you know, that even if it's a basic bike fit from your shop, like generally they're quite good now. Um, But if you can get a proper bike fit, that helps a lot like yeah. especially if they're kind of they know what they're doing from a triathlon perspective so I think some of the bike shops they're good at fitting you from like a bike perspective but not necessarily to then go and run off the bike so finding someone that mm. has some knowledge of triathlon helpful um that's key i think yeah, yeah. definitely key so that's you know i think if, you know if, if you've got enough money to invest in a tt bike You've probably got an extra, hopefully, couple of hundred quid to spend on a good bike fit. Definitely worth it if you're, like, reasonably serious about it. Um, And then it's just time spent. Like, to be honest, like, the reason I'm much more comfortable with my TT bikes because that's what I spend my whole time riding. Like, this is probably the first time I've spent any amount of time riding my road bike. Uh, I've been without my TT bike for about four weeks and it's heartbreaking <laughs> i feel your pain oh, I, feel my, I, feel your I pain. feel my pain um and it's really weird and i'm finding it all actually quite uncomfortable <laughs> i really hate my road bike saddle uh i really wish i was on my tt bike but you know it's because i've spent probably like 90 percent of my time over the last probably three years on my tt bike so mm. obviously i'm more comfortable on it yeah so that would be another tip so yeah, like spend time on it, get a good bike fit and test your saddle. I think that's great advice actually because I'm like you, my TT bike is undergoing an upgrade. Mm-hmm. 
which meant that I had to do my Stomp the Trainer Challenge 500 kilometers in eight days on my road bike. And it's interesting because it wasn't necessarily my saddle because I used the same saddle on my TT and my road bike. What it was, though, was the position. And I'm so used to being flat and in aero that sitting up on a road bike in the road bike position (laughs) engaged different muscles and different components in the Vajiji area Mm. that was not liking it. So (laughs) I took pressure. It is different Mm. pressure. So I'm with you. I think it's absolutely you have to get a bike fit. Mm. You definitely need to test saddles because everybody's, every female in that region is different. You've got innies, outies, all that jazz. So you need to be very specific and you need to trial out what is right for you. Mm. I also think kit is important yeah so you need to have the right set of tri shorts bib shorts mm-hmm. or cycle shorts yep. that is satisfactory for that vaginal mm-hmm. area as well as the saddle as well as your fit mm-hmm. so i think all three come and chamois play shammy shammy cream yes shammy cream is a lifesaver <laughs> okay uh we're gonna wrap this up because it is quite late in the uh natasha Wayne household aka Tash talks and Ruth does need to catch a plane in the early morning and uh, this is pretty much off the cuff and we just wanted to share the real side of <laughs> going from age grouper to pro and touch on things that are just not always triathlon. So uh, she's also a Stomp the Pedal fan from an active apparel accessory kind of wear. She is now sponsored by Orca so you won't see her uh, in Stomp the Pedal in terms of triathlon gear, but you definitely will see her in some form of training gear and hoodies mm. of that kind. And thank you so much for uh, sharing some of this time of our friendship <laughs> on, this, uh, on this crazy cool adventure <laughs> of uh, going from right. age grouper to pro. And, uh, yeah, I think it's time you go nanas, really, isn't it? (laughs) All right, so we're wrapping it up. Thank you very much for listening to Tash Talks. This is my first guest edition. (laughs) And, yeah, I'm very excited. It is a long recording, but I think the content is definitely uh, worthwhile and I hope you've been engaged. So signing off, have a great evening, day, weekend, weekday, who knows, And Tash will be back soon. Bye.